0: Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. This is my favorite week of the year, Passion Week. And one of the things that I really want to impress upon you is that we do not miss anything that God has for us this week. And that's why... As you leave today, we're going to hand every one of you a little flyer. It's a half page on some of the events that are happening this week. Now, one of the things I want to point out to you specifically, it's on the flyer. There's an address there, is that our annual Good Friday service is not going to happen here. We are going to do a collaborative service with Fellowship of Praise in Clarksville, The address is on here, and so it's at 7 p.m. Friday night. We want you to join us over there at Fellowship of Praise. Our worship team has collaborated with their worship team, and uh, Pastor Matt and I have collaborated on a message. I have a very poignant message that I'll be delivering on that Good Friday service, which is on Passover, and then we are going to take of the Lord's Supper together, and I would uh, venture to say that what we have planned for Friday night, the way... And the, the design in which we are going to gather for communion is probably unlike any way you have ever taken communion before. I, I believe it's going to be a real special time. So mark your calendars and make sure you join us on Good Friday. Also for Easter Sunday morning, for Resurrection Sunday, next Sunday at 10:30, we have one service only. This is different. In years past, we've had two services. We have one service only. We're going to put out some more chairs. We want you to invite your friends and your family. Uh, Just be patient with us next week to make sure that when you come in, you, you come as far to the front as you possibly can. You fill in all of the gaps, and you may just be seated a little bit closer to people than you are this week. So look to your neighbor and say, make sure you put on some perfume cologne next week. We're going to sit close next week. But today I want to share a message that I believe for this time of year and for this day is pivotal in our understanding of Holy Week, but also in our entire uh, Christian calendar, because this is the week that changed everything. And for 2,000 years, people have been gathering in places and assemblies, sometimes not as public as this, sometimes just home to home, and they have been rehearsing the stories of what God has done in this Holy Week. And this is the beginning of the week that we know where Jesus has his Last Supper with his disciples Uh, that Jesus is uh, betrayed by Judas, that he goes to the cross, that uh, he was scourged and he was whipped and he was spat upon, and he died and he was buried in a borrowed tomb, but on the third day he rose again. Amen. And this Palm Sunday message, uh, really the, the whole message of Palm Sunday is called the triumphal entry, but actually it was anything but triumphant what it what it was was a king riding on a donkey, an unrecognized king riding on a, a beast of burden, riding on a, a common animal, and they greeted him with palm branches. They laid down palm branches as an honor uh, to the Lord. And so uh, a palm branch goes back into ancient times as a a tree and a leaf that was representative of some very powerful uh, images when you would look at a palm branch. Palm trees can only grow in the valleys. There are times in our lives where we get up on the mountaintops, we want to look far and wide, and on a mountaintop, you can see far and you can look out into the distance, and, and it's wonderful to be on the mountaintops, but what we fail to realize oftentimes is that there are some things that can't grow on a mountaintop. And one of those things is a palm tree cannot grow at the mountaintop. The elevation would, would uh, not give it the right soil, not give it the right climate, the right uh, type of uh, environment for it to grow. But in the valley is where we find a palm tree. And any time a weary traveler would come upon a palm tree, as they're traveling through a valley, especially in the, in the Near East, as, as uh, we see this scene crouched in uh, ancient uh, Israel, they would come upon a palm tree and it would be a sign certain that there is water nearby. For the thirsty and the parched and the dry, weary traveler, they would recognize that the palm tree speaks of something of water or something to refresh my soul. And they would get up under the branches of a palm tree because the hot beating sun would hit upon the leaf first and it would cast a shade upon the traveler. And so a palm branch is representative of water, of life sustaining sustenance, and also of the shade which provides us a rest. And so when we look at the palm branch today, let us not just see a green leafy uh, branch that maybe we think of in our context as going on vacation because we don't have palm trees around here uh, conveniently just growing out, but we think of maybe it's a a faraway place. Let us bring the palm branch close to our spiritual heart and life and recognize that it speaks to us of new life. It speaks to us of sustaining water or the shelter and shade that we need to get us to a place where we can rest for a while, where Jesus calls us to come alongside nearby and rest your weary soul, rest for a while. And waving of a palm branch was done in honor of an announcement or a, the honor of someone great coming to a city. And that's why we see in this text that we're going to look at in John 12 that they brought these palm branches and they were waving them, laying them down at the feet of Jesus right on his path. Look at John 12, chapter, chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. This is where we have the, the recording of this day. It says, the next day. Now, the next day is, if you go into the 11th chapter, this was the, the raising of Lazarus. I want to deal with that next week, but it says the next day. So after this great miracle happened, the next day, this scene has taken place. It says, the next day, a great multitude had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. The the town was all abuzz about this Jesus who was now coming into Jerusalem. And there was a reason that he was traveling this way because uh, every good Jewish male and family would make their, their trip and their pilgrimage up for the Passover. And so this was the near time where Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. It says, they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Pastor Rick mentioned it a moment ago that the word Hosanna means "save now." Hosanna! What they're saying is, is it time? Is it, is it here? Have we finally reached the culmination point where our salvation has come? Is it now that you are going to restore the kingdom? Is it now that we are going to be set free from the oppressors of Rome who have taxed us, who have sent us into slavery and into bondage, who have taken us and put us as prisoners and, and warriors when we didn't want to fight their wars? Is this the time finally has arrived? Hosanna, save now. And it was more than just a question, it was a proclamation. It was almost urging Jesus that even if this isn't exactly what's happening right now, this is what the crowd is wanting. This is the popular opinion. We want you to restore the fortunes of your people. This is the time that we have anticipated, we have expected, save right now. In this first Palm Sunday, we see that it was met with much fanfare. There was a lot of pomp and circumstance that was happening on this first Palm Sunday. I mean, after all, Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. The same Jesus who had healed the blind's eyes who had taken leprosy off of people. The deaf could hear, the blind could see, the the dumb could speak, the lame could walk. Jesus, the very one who raised Jairus' daughter and Lazarus from the dead, the very one who raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead, just this Jesus who fed 5,000 with just a couple loaves and fish, this miracle worker, this wonder worker, Jesus, he was now coming to Jerusalem. So there was lots happening in this day. There was so much anticipation, such high expectation of the things that were about to take place. And these waving of the palm branches recognized and represented something that was uh, surely to happen. They knew that their time had come. And this Holy Week, this is what I would say is a a great example of the, the swinging of the pendulum between the extremes in life of great expectation, ecstasy, and a a spiritual high all the way to deep, deep disappointment. Have you ever lived a a day or two in your life where you look back and you you can imagine the the time and remember what it's like to go from the mountaintop of great expectation to the valley of deep distress? It doesn't happen often, but in pastoring, there there have been a, a few times over the years where I have... Been scheduled to perform both a wedding and a funeral in the same day. Those are always difficult days because the range of emotions are, are like a roller coaster. It's like you're way up here and in, in, in celebrating with those who are being married and giving their nuptials and, and coming into holy matrimony, and then you're standing at the graveside of a beloved family member, someone who has passed, and comforting those who are mourning. This was the kind of experience that we can see happen, and it took place in just seven short days. This holy week goes from an high elation of, of, of uh, expectation to a deep, dark despair of all their hopes being crashed. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, what do you do when your expectations are not met? What do you do when what you thought would happen, how you thought, how you had planned, how you had prayed that it would work out? It doesn't work out. Or what do you do when what you wanted or you thought you wanted finally comes into your life only to realize a few moments later, a couple of days after, that's really not what I wanted in the first place? That high expectation of how I thought I would feel to get that new gadget, to have that new thing, to get that new promotion, to get that spouse or that person that I I thought I needed in my life, that really didn't satisfy the whole, the longing, the desire that was on the inside. Because you see, our human condition, we want a lot of things. We reach out and we grasp for a lot of things. And we think that if we can only get to a certain marker, if we can only get to a certain achievement, if we can just cross that line, if I can only arrive there, if I can achieve that, then I will truly be happy. But anything separated from God is not going to bring you the happiness. There is only one true joy and it's found in Jesus Christ alone. That's the only true joy. That's the only peace that we're gonna ever have in our lives. So what happens? When our expectations are unmet, you see the same people who on Palm Sunday were waving palm branches, were laying them down at his feet, were crying, Hosanna, save now, are the very same ones, seven days later, who make up a crowd as they're listening to all the accusations about this Jesus. And then they start to chant and they bring in their own voice with, yeah, that is right. Crucify. Crucify, crucify him. How fickle. How easy it is that we forget. How quickly do we put out of mind what God has done for us just seven days prior? Now, it's easy for us as moderns to read the scriptures and say, How could those people have been so dense? How could they have easily given up? How could they have gotten to the place where the one day they're praising God and the next day they're cursing him? But I would caution us to say, we all like sheep have gone astray, each and every one of us to our own separate way. We have all played the role at some time or another of the jubilant crowd welcoming all the blessings and all the goodness that we see. The miracle worker is here. Yet just to have our hearts turned in a moment of disappointment and start questioning and wondering, was God even for me? Is God even good? Does he even hear my cry? Does God even care? Proverbs 13 and 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So when there's something you've anticipated, when there's something you've desired and it gets deferred from you, you get sick of heart. When you've waited two days, ten days, five years, ten years for something to come and it never comes. It's deferred. Your hope has been put off. It makes your heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. That echoes imagery from the garden. The tree of life. And it also casts our eyes to the last book in the Bible, Revelation, where there is a tree of life and the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. We have this inset eternity that has been planted in our hearts. There is something about us that we have a longing for a city whose builder and maker is God. And we are longing for that day. And so Palm Sunday really presents to us the same thing that it presented 2,000 years ago, and it's this. Palm Sunday is presented to us as a test. And the test is this. Were the disciples of Jesus committed to God's plan or just the invention of their minds for their plan? You see, it's real easy for us to think that we're doing the work of God to speak all the good words, the Christianese, the the fine language that we all polish each other's spiritual armor in church and say, well, of course I'm doing this with the motivation that I want to expand God's kingdom. But really, and secretly, and sometimes even unbeknownst to us, we are building and we are making a platform for our own kingdoms. And Jesus' disciples had this sense in which I know what Jesus has said, that he's going to die and he's not going to be here. And I just, I don't want to accept that bad report. I don't want to go there. He's not going to die. This isn't going to happen. It's going to work out because I have a plan to make sure that it works out well. And this is what we do sometimes is we tell God our plan more like a laundry list or a dictation. Like, God, this is my plan. Come on and get on path with my plan. And God says, no, 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 you don't understand. Your plan's are faulty. Your plans are flawed because you see through the glass dimly lit, because you don't see the other side. I remember my great-great-grandmother, we would go and we'd visit her when I was a child and she was a quilter. She would make these, these very fine quilts. People would ask her all around the county to, to make a quilt for her. And she, she had so many uh, that she would do a year, but, but her hands could only make uh, you know a certain number. There's only so many that you could actually stitch and sew. She had uh, you know, some Uh, professional equipment there, but she did much of it by hand. And I remember always going into her sewing room and I would be so fascinated to look up on the wall for the projects that she had started and the little patchwork patterns that they they weren't quite finished. And then there were over on another table, those that were nicely folded and neatly made, and they were all finished. And I would look back and forth and back and forth, and my eyes would always want to go to the finished product. But I didn't realize at the time, being a child, that even on those unfinished products, on the other side, I could see the backside where she was stitching, but on the other side was a finished piece of fabric, a patchwork, which I didn't understand, which I didn't discern. And this is what we're going to see when we get a glimpse of God's glory. someday somehow we are going to be able to see the other side of the fabric. We're going to say, ah, that's what it was. I was looking at the wrong thing. I was looking at it from the wrong vantage point. And if we will ask God for spiritual insight, if we will grasp The the true meaning of, of this Hosanna, save now. Yes, it's a proclamation. Yes, it's an expectation. But it may not come according to our plans. And so here's my question to you today. Are you fully committed to God and his plan? Are you fully committed to God and his plan? Now, I think that's a recurring question. It's really not even a rhetorical question. It's one that we have to continually sanitize our own hearts with. We have to ask this again and again and again, because I believe that at some point in Jesus' ministry, his disciples were completely sold out to Jesus' plan. But when things started to arise that they didn't like, when information started to flow to them that they didn't agree with, now all of a sudden, their plan and God's plan were at conflict. Now, When your plan and God's plan is at conflict, you know that something has to happen. Either you abort your plan, you abandon your inventions and get on God's plan, or you keep your plan and walk away from his. That's the only two choices. And so public commitment to the plan of God can only be verified by private devotion. Let me read it for you like this. Matthew 6 and 3 says, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, that your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Amen. Now, I would, I would insert anything that you do for the kingdom of God, anything that you are committing your life to, anything that you are doing to put God's stamp of approval, his name on it, when we minister in the name of God. There is a, both a, a public Piece of that, we we minister publicly to one another. You know that God has given you a ministry. You know, each and every one of us has been given a ministry. Actually, the Apostle Paul tells us like this He says that we should all be doing the work of an evangelist. Now, that doesn't mean all of us are called to be evangelists where we go on a circuit and preach, but we all can be doing and should be doing the work of an evangelist. What does that do? That means you're proclaiming, you're pronouncing, you're telling forth your testimony and God's story. And every one of us, get this, has been given the ministry of reconciliation. You say, pastor, I don't have a ministry. Yes, you do. The Bible says you do. The Bible says that you have been given the ministry of reconciliation as an ambassador for Christ. You know that you have a Position in the kingdom of God as an ambassador. That means you represent God's kingdom wherever you go. An ambassador of a foreign country goes to another country representing his or her own country to the foreign country. So you, as an ambassador for Christ, represent God's commission, God's plan to the world. And we have been given the ministry of reconciliation that is, that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. And so what does this mean about what you do privately, God will reward publicly? Well, let me ask you some questions as follow up. Are you just as much a Christian on Monday as you are on Sunday? Are you known to be a Christian in your home or just in God's house? Do you talk to someone the same way that you talk about someone? It is a consistency of our character. It is a matter of what we say we're going to do is what we do. The people that we represent ourselves to be are who we truly are. Now, all of us have some issues in this area. We're human. We have waffling. We have waywardness. We have momentary lapse of judgment. We have all kinds of, of human desires and issues that cause us to be really good one day and not feel like putting on the armor the next day. And that's why it's so vitally important that we do not become Lone Ranger Christians, but we do this thing together. That as iron sharpens iron, so the countenance of one person sharpens another. And you have someone that's helping you through this journey. You have someone that's keeping you accountable just a little bit to say, you know what? That was a little bit off-kelter for you. That didn't quite sound like you. I, I sense that there's something going on in your life that, that maybe you need to talk about. Let's-, let's talk through it. But our public commitment is verified by our private devotion. Jesus' disciples learned things in private with him that the others didn't get to hear. And so that's why when they went out and he, he commissioned the 70 to go out, they came back with reports of, Jesus, we were able to cast out demons in your name. We were able to heal the sick in your name. All these great things. Why? Because privately, they had been with Jesus. And so publicly, they were doing things for Jesus. But Palm Sunday reminds us that words and lip service are not enough. Jesus came to redeem us not just to simply create better public opinion. And so it's not a matter of, of just putting on airs for people to say, oh, well, you're really good. You go to that church or where you've been on Sunday. Why well, I go to church on Sunday. None of that really even matters anything if our heart intent is out of whack, if there's something on the inside that is not where it needs to be. And that's why true commitment will be tested, get me, will be tested by conflict all true commitment will be tested by conflict. Your friendships will be tested because you will eventually disagree with your friends. Your relationships with family will be tested because if you have siblings, you know that brothers and sisters, they tend to quarrel sometimes, don't they? They tend to to fight sometimes. I have brothers and a sister, younger and older, and so that puts me in the middle, which makes me the pleaser, which also means I'm the favorite. No, no, probably. But I know what it's like to have siblings that are both older and younger. And I know that sometimes we don't see eye to eye. And at other times, especially when we were little, uh, we, we would fight and we would fuss and we would pick on one another. And, and I, used to, I used to do this all the time with my little brother. I, was, I, would, I would just jump on him. I would just fight him. I'd pin him down. I used to pin him down. I was big enough. I used to pin him down with his arms like this, and I would lean right in, and I would lick his nose, right there, the tip of his nose. Just a big old slobbery lick in his nose. And he says, ew, your breath stinks. And it's on his nose, and he's smelling it. And I used to love that. That was great. Until the day that he got a little bit bigger than me. (laughs) And he's still a little bit bigger than me. And I called a truce. <laughs> it's just like, no, we're not going to do that anymore. We've outgrown those childish things. When you grow up, you, you outgrow those childish things. But not before he could reach down in the, in the alley one day. I remember we were fighting right after we had been to Dairy Queen. Anybody remember those, those cups at Dairy Queen you'd get, and you'd have that little plastic spoon, that little pink spoon? You know, those spoons kind of, they're, they're flimsy. And I remember that he, he took a, a pebble and he threw it at me. And he hit me in the head with it. And I didn't like that. I reached out and I grabbed that spoon and I put a rock in that spoon like a slingshot. I just pulled it back and I let it go. He just had looked up and it hit him smack dab on the lip and it bloodied his lip. And he went in to cry for mom and I went cr- run into the backyard because I knew I was in big trouble. And we would fight and we would fuss. But I'm going to tell you this. None of them neighborhood kids better ever get on my brother because then they got to fight with me and my older sister and everybody else in our family. We're going to fight, right? Because your commitment will be tested by conflict. And in the house of God, amongst the people of God, there are times when we will disagree. Not everybody's going to see eye to eye. But do we come to one another's defense to say, yeah, but I know her character. Yeah, but I know the kind of person that he is on the inside. And I'm going to stand and verify that that is the kind of person that I will stand beside. Yes, I know that we don't always agree, but we are going to be tested in both our family and our friendships. We're gonna be tested in our faith community. We're tested in our marriages. We don't always disagree on money. We don't always disagree on how to raise the kids. We don't always disagree on our in-laws or on our outlaws. Can I get an amen? But we made a vow, and we said, till death do we part. And so whatever test, whatever kind of of, uh, trial that comes to this commitment, we are going to pass this test. And here's what Palm Sunday reminds us of, is it reminds us of the shelter that a palm leaf and a palm branch provides to just consider and to rest for a minute. A refreshment that is offered in the presence of Jesus. That though we fail, Jesus offers us a way back. Even like those early disciples that one, one moment they're singing the high praises, and the next moment they're singing and saying, crucify him. We also can vacillate, we also can go back and forth. And so we're not too harsh on them because we know that in our own hearts, we're not always committed either. We know that in our own hearts in our own minds, we also have plans of what we would like to do. And full commitment to God does not mean losing you. You're still gonna be you. Coming to Jesus doesn't mean you, you, you simply forget everything that you ever knew before and you stop being the person that you are. Coming to Jesus doesn't mean losing you, it means gaining him. John said it like this, I must decrease so that he may increase. How many of us have this mindset? As we read through the scriptures, we're going to it not to check off a box, not to say, I did my Bible reading today, but we're going to it to see, okay, let me look into the looking glass of God's word. Let me see me. Let The the word of God read me as I read it, and so that it is a mirror to my life, and so that I am decreasing while he is increasing, because the more of this that you put in, the more of this that you put in, the more of communicating to God that you put in, the more. That you're going to receive out of this life with jesus the bigger that he is going to become on the inside of you john said it like this i have to decrease less of me and more of you and see this is what jesus talks about when he talks about the abundant life that in jesus you'll have life and more abundantly because when you walk with god you start to realize that that is the real life, that that is the true joy, that is the true peace. Now let's look at the words that Jesus shared right after this great proclamation and him coming into the city. Let's look at the words that he says. I want to skip around just a couple verses here. John 12 and 44, it closes at verse 50. It says this, Jesus shouted, to the crowds. So all of the noise and all of the chaos, everything that's happening, Jesus had to get up above the crowd and he shouted to the crowds and he says, if you trust me, if you trust me, this is, this is a big question, if you trust me. God's not going to force you. God's not a tyrant. He's not a dictator. He gives us the option. And here's what Jesus shouted to the crowd. If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. Verse 49, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me to say, has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. The commands of Jesus, the words of Jesus, lead to eternal life, abundant life. Life that is without limit. Life that is truly full of joy and happiness and a sense of, that's okay, God's got this, even in the midst of pain. Being able to sing in times of sorrow and pain because full commitment to Jesus will mean that we're willing to celebrate And follow him in the the good times, in the joyful times, but also in the times that are not so good. Full commitment to Jesus means that I will be a devoted one, a disciple, a sold out one, when I'm on the mountaintop or in the valley low. Full commitment to Jesus will mean that even when you're disappointed, God is still good. And let me tell you this as I close. If you follow Jesus long enough, Jesus will disappoint you. You say, now pastor, I didn't expect to come into church today and you tell me that Jesus will disappoint me. But listen, the scriptures bear this out. If you follow Jesus long enough, Jesus will disappoint you. You know why? Because he won't do according to your plan. Sometimes you get your way. Sometimes he'll do your plan. But Jesus disappointed all kinds of people in the scriptures. Martha and Mary, they sent for Jesus because Lazarus, their brother, was sick. And they even even put in a little little caveat and said, Jesus, the one you love, your your friend Lazarus, he's sick. You need to come right now. And Jesus waited a day, another day. By the time Jesus arrived, it was four days. Lazarus was already dead and in the tomb. Jesus disappointed Mary and Martha. Jesus disappointed James and John two of his very favorite and beloved disciples. They said, Jesus, we have done all that you've said. We've followed the rules. We've done it all the right way. We wanna sit on your right and on your left. They even sent their mom to make the petition. And Jesus said, that's not for me to give. Jesus disappointed them. Jesus will disappoint you if you apprise your plans as higher than God's plan. If your commitment is contingent upon God doing it according to your will, according to your way, you'll be disappointed. But if you have a surrendered heart, if you have a mindset and a heart to say, whether mountain high or valley low, I will be committed, I will be devoted, I will be sold out. Whether you save now, Hosanna, or it doesn't happen right now. Whether you heal or you don't, whether you come through with provision or you don't, God, you are still good. And so what began as a triumphal entry into the city of jerusalem seven days later culminated in a cross outside of the same city the man being crucified but on the third day he rose again so with heads bowed and no one looking around just between you and god maybe today you're listening to this and You've had some hope that's been deferred. Maybe your heart's just a little bit sick today. Maybe those cries for Hosanna in your life didn't turn out to the salvation that you had intended. Let me challenge you with this. Look at the palm branch, cast your eyes upon the palms today and be reminded that in the palms, there is a promise of water of refreshment, of new life, of new hope, of new freedom that is found in Jesus. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. I'm going to first ask for the, the prayer of those who would say, I really need the salvation of God in my life. I need to say yes to God and his saving grace today. I'm going to pray for you. I'm also going to ask for those who would admit that you're just a little bit heartsick, that there are some things that you had hoped for, some things that you had desired, and plans have not turned out the way that you had hoped. We're gonna pray that God would give you the vantage point that he sees, the other side of the story, the other side of that quilt, that God would give you a peace and solace in your heart that you can praise him in the good times and even the bad. God, today I thank you that you have heard our prayers. I don't wanna pray with that person who for the very first time needs to say yes to you, to your saving grace. The Hosanna from their lips is save now, save my soul. That's you. The Bible tells us that with the heart, one believes under righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And that you just simply need to trust him. Jesus shouted above the crowd and said, if you trust me, my words are eternal life. And if that's you today, You just need to pray this prayer. Dear God, I come to you today just like I am. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I repent of my sin. I accept Jesus. I believe Jesus. I trust you today. And if you're here today and and you just need a different vantage point, your heart's been sick because your hope has been deferred, then this is the prayer for you today. God, I pray for everyone who is just a little bit disappointed. Plans haven't turned out the way they had hoped. I pray God that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see things as you see them. Even just for a glimpse, even just for a moment, that we may get a glimpse of glory. We may see the way you see. Speak to our hearts. Spirit of the living God, Speak to our hearts and minds. Give us the peace that passes all understanding. Let it guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In these things we pray, amen.